From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine. I always felt there was a huge confusion between Indian and Pakistani food, and specifically food from Karachi. And very similar, very, very similar, but yet different. Hi there, I'm Brian Hogan-Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. Now, you just heard from today's guest, Kauser Ahmed. Kauser is a chef, educator, and food stylist who was born in Karachi, Pakistan. Her first cookbook is The Karachi Kitchen, Classic and Contemporary Flavors from Pakistan. In her debut cookbook, Kauser brings to the pages the bold, diverse food of Karachi, a port city at the crossroads of South Asia. In today's show, we're talking with Kauser about what Karachi cuisine is and how Pakistani food differs from Indian food, about her process to self-publishing this first cookbook of hers, and how she's leaning into her role as an educator in Pakistan and the U.S. Plus, later in the show, we're back with food writer and cookbook reviewer Paula Forbes for another look at fall cookbooks, this time a fresh catch of seafood books. And we're stopping by Omnivore Books in San Francisco to check in with Celia Sack. Plus, we've got recipes for Kauser's lentil and rice pilaf with Raita. All that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco, where Kauser Ahmed joined us to talk cookbooks. Hi, Kauser. How are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good. Thank you. We're so glad to have you on Salt and Spine. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for for joining us today. And we're here to talk about your first cookbook, Mm -hmm. The Karachi Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to start really early on. So Karachi is your hometown in Pakistan where you grew up. Tell us a little bit about growing up there and what sort of things um, you were exposed to in terms of food and cuisine. Yes, um, of course. So I... um, you know, I was born in, I would say, a middle class family with very firm values and traditions and cultures and morals. And my father was, uh, although he was a chemical engineer, but he was an educator as well. So he, hel- he helped to set up a lot of schools and things. So I grew up in, I would say, a sort of a liberal environment. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, you know, girls had to get married very early and you couldn't go abroad for education yet at the same time you know education was the top priority sure and uh, finding your dreams in your own way so I mean in short you know I had to find ultimately given the foundation by my parents I had to find my way into the world right I had two brothers I was a total tomboy okay you know playing on the streets Mm -hmm. with their friends wouldn't leave and uh, food of course it was like the major part of my growing up sure. my my father was a foodie and my mother was a phenomenal cook and karachi um, being a cosmopolitan city and i was uh, going to one of the best schools in karachi which was a british school and we had british principals and headmasters come in from britain So it was pretty strict, but the education was like top notch over there. So I was surrounded by all sorts of cultures. And so I grew up learning that, you know, how to be empathetic, how to blend in with different cultures, how to accept them, how to tolerate them, how to be patient and how to love them. So I think that was a very important part of my upbringing uh, because that's what um, gave me a very open mind 
yeah. to move forward in life. And having uh, being surrounded by aunts and my grandmother too, who were absolutely empowered women and amazing chefs, not chefs, but co- I, I always called them chefs <laughs> because I don't know where they learned from, but they were amazing. And the, sure. trick, and the tricks and the tips they gave me, I still remember those little tips, you know. And uh, food was very important. Sitting together and eating at the table at night was very important. My mother usually we had at least five different dishes. Okay. One would be meat-based, one would be vegetables, one would be lentil, mm-hmm. and there would be some sort of a rice and the assortment of chutneys. Sure. So um, I would say I was I had I had multiple influences while I grew up. My father was from Bombay. Okay. Uh, Mumbai now, mm-hmm. and my mother had a combination of uh, being from Uttar Pradesh in India as well and Punjab. So I, I, you know, I used to be very confused at that time. I said, Oh my gosh, I'm surrounded by so many people. But I think that gave me the edge to be, uh, to be able to explore a lot of, you know, Hyderabadi cuisine from India, so famous, so popular. I was, I ate that while growing up and I was like surrounded by these flavors and, you know, amazing women in my life. Yeah. Did you realize at the time the role that food played for you? Did you know as a child that that was something that maybe you wanted to make a career out of? No, I did not. I did not. I mean, I had it in mind. Um, I loved cooking. And it's funny because um, I think it just happened because I was always by my mom's side, being the only daughter. I was always by her side and I had to make something or the other each uh, weekend. Okay. And cook one thing. And um, gradually I started to bake a lot and then taking orders from the family. And this is like I was 12 or 13 then. Uh I never thought that I am going to make this into a career, career and where I will be able to, where it will lead me ultimately. But uh, I was always very passionate about it. And do you remember some of the things you mentioned? You've retained a lot of the tricks and tips that you learned from your mother and your Mm -hmm. grandmothers. I also read that you used to take weekly trips to the fish market with your mother. Do you remember some of those experiences and how have those translated to the work that you do today in terms of teaching others Mm -hmm. about Pakistani food and Karachi cooking specifically Mm -hmm. um, and into your cookbook? Yes. uh, So, you know, I I always made a trip for the groceries with my mother. Okay. And I remember the fish market specifically because I used to hate it <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> at that point with all the smelly things. But I, sure. again, you know, I think that is something which really taught me that, uh, you know, it will be smelly, but it's okay to touch it. Yeah. And, you know, I had to wash it. And I, we were in a, at a generation where we could not say, I, you know, I could not say no to my mother. Or my dad that, no, I will not do this. You right. know, like kids are today. Right. That, you know, they have their own minds and I would like, okay, I'll do it. I'll wash it. But those trips, uh, definitely taught me a lot because, um, you know, how to buy fresh fish, which fish is good, which is not good. Look at this, you know, look at the shrimps and, um, all those things. Um, because it was a must to, have seafood once a week my father loved seafood okay and with the seafood come in the spices and one thing i remember is my grandmother and then my mother roasting spices Mm -hmm. 
So that seemed to me the key element of the flavors re- really bursting out of the food we are eating, especially that fish is like that fried fish my mom made. She dry roasted and, you know, my grandmother used to make it, dry roasting it and using, um, you know, now we have the mortar and the pestle, which is like round and you just hammer into it. But sure. then they had a stone. Okay. And they had a block of stone, which they would grind it with, just put a little water on it and keep grinding. And I tell you, Brian, that, you know, today we have uh, the blenders and the food processors. Right. But even today, when you do it that way, the flavors are completely different. Yeah, completely different than by mm-hmm. a mortar and pestle or by other stone methods. Uh, stone methods are definitely, you know, uh, more traditional. Sure. You know, they've, they've, they've become more like the mortar and the pestle, but the, the machines that we use nowadays. Yes. And we all use them, the yes. spice grinders and mm-hmm. all those things. But, um, using the stone method is actually the main ingredient to the flavors. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And so you said you ate seafood relatively often. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what makes Karachi cuisine unique as mm-hmm. compared to other regional cuisines of mm-hmm. Pakistan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a port city, mm-hmm. so you are getting access to seafood. But yes. what other elements make Karachi cooking in the Karachi kitchen unique? So Karachi is, of course, a port city, but mm-hmm. it's also a cosmopolitan city. Sure. And I would say it is characterized uh, by the regional cooking over there is such a blend coming down from Persia, coming down from the Middle East, uh-huh. um, Afghanistan, India, the Mughlai cuisine coming down. And then the, and Europe, when we had the British influence, I think we got the tea intake from there. Okay. And then the pound cakes and all those things. But specifically, the cuisine of Karachi is, of course, a blend of all these things. But itself, when you, when I would, actually say that what is the authentic cuisine of Karachi. So we are a province in Sindh. So there is this particular kind of food called Sindhi food, Uh which is spicy and flavorful. So they were the originals over there. They are the like the originals of Karachi. Okay. But then we have the blend of the different multicultural cuisines coming in. So that really makes it stand out. And, uh, you know, Sindhi food is just phenomenal. And, uh, and Karachi food, a lot of meat based. We eat a lot of meat. We, of course, eat a lot of seafood. And um, we have um, also a lot of different spices over there. And this fried fish that you were talking about, this recipe that your mother used to make, that's a Sindhi uh, recipe, right? Well, that is, I would say that is a fusion because uh, my father was from, you know, Mumbai Uh and um, his mom brought in a lot of flavors as well. So my mother was also very influenced by her food and, you know, she was very inspired by her food. And um, I realized that it is a combination of both the flavors together. Okay. Because Sindhi food is and Karachi food is spicy and aromatic. Is there like a quintessential dish that sort of in your mind defines Karachi cooking? Karachi cooking is, I would say there is, um, there are a couple of them. Okay. There, there is Nihari, which is a slow cooked beef dish with, I think, dozens of spices in that. Yeah. And it is, um, they are cooked together for hours and hours. And that's like street food too. 
you you get it and you get these hot piping naans with it and that is one particular dish with, which really stands out in Karachi and then we have the biryani mm-hmm. which uh, comes in a lot of different varieties yeah you know we have the typical sindhi biryani and then you have the mumbai biryani okay so uh, as i was gro- growing up, i love biryani but i have to have potato in my biryani okay so i used to tell my mom please don't make the sindhi biryani <laughs> because it has no potatoes please make the mumbai biryani because it has the potatoes yes so these uh, dishes and then there's the kadhai chicken so these three dishes i would say have you know uh, bring back a lot of memories of yeah. like the authentic karachi food and birani for folks who are listening and might not know is traditionally a rice dish it is a rice rice dish meat based basically yeah. and um, it has a bunch of spices whole spices and ground spices in it too and it is traditionally eaten with raita which is a yogurt based dip yeah you eat it with that So and it, a biryani it, well now because my one of my ro- daughter she's a vegetarian so I I make vegetarian biryani okay. for all the vegetarian lovers out there Sure <laughs> And I think you even said there's a, a some a rice dish that you loved a lot as a child too that's a re- lentil and rice pilaf Yes yes So the uh, lentil and rice pilaf uh, the recipe which is in my cookbook that comes down from uh, my father's side Okay Uh, my grandma used to make it and then you know my my mom started making it and i guess i remember my mom making it more because it is uh, it you know it's topped with egg and spices so i felt it was so unique that it just you know very very the opposite of the biryani you can you know make the spices mild or you can make them really spicy now there's another recipe that really caught my attention mm-hmm. um and i'll ask you to do the pronunciation of mm-hmm. it so i don't totally butcher it but the carrot delight dessert oh. i think looks like such a unique recipe can you tell us about that and how people who might not be familiar with using carrots in a dessert might be quite surprised at yes yes what so, seems to be delicious oh, oh my gosh you you have to have that i'm going to make it yeah, yeah you make that you love it so it it is very interesting so that is a very very traditional dessert which is like carrot in urdu is gajar so gajar ka halwa which is the carrot delight okay and it comes down generations from um you know when after the partition the mughlai cuisine and the story is that uh, in the mughal kitchens they would make elaborate dishes and they would create dishes okay for feasts right. and festivities so this was one of the dishes okay. which was made and it is it is a very traditional dish and it is i feel it's very strongly connected to me because as growing up i remember each winter because the carrot season would be in winter yeah and my the first thing my mom would do is go and get pounds and pounds of carrot and yes. there you are peeling them and grating them and we had no machines and hand right. grating and we all would get these duties of doing it and then she would make it eat it and then we she would also freeze it because you know she said as long as it lasts let's freeze it too but that is um, the aromas of that slow cooked carrot delight in yeah. milk and saffron and cardamom 
is, you know, the house just smells so good. Yes. And people are surprised in my classes over here. And um, I've had that in the menu. And everyone has just loved it. Yeah, it looks amazing. But I think many people in the US might not be accustomed to carrot in a dessert other than maybe carrot cake. Yes, absolutely. That's what I thought when I had it in the menu. And I was like, I have no idea how they'll take this. Yes. But everyone loved it. So is it some is it sort of like a pudding? Uh, well, you could call it a pudding, like a carrot pudding, but okay. it's slow cooked. And right. um, uh, how I like it, you know, I don't like the carrots to be completely mushy. Right. And I don't want it to turn into a complete pudding. Sure. And yet keep the texture of the carrot. Sure. You know, slow cook it and uh, evaporate the milk completely. And okay. then it's stir fried as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm so gonna, the key, I'm the key to it is stir fry it in the end. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited about this recipe. I'm going to make this one. We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Kowser Ahmed. But first, we're catching up with Salt and Spine friend and cookbook reviewer Paula Forbes about the slate of seafood books coming our way this fall. Hi, Paula. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Great. So you mentioned last time we talked when we were talking about books coming this fall, about a number of seafood books that are coming and that we should be paying attention to. So I wanted to have you back today to talk a little bit more about those books and which ones we should be watching. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are a lot of seafood books coming out because of a few things, one of which is a general interest in sustainability, sustainable seafood, these practices that eating the bycatch that you get when you're when you're fishing and that kind of thing. So I think that people are starting to take those things seriously. And thankfully, we have a lot of cookbooks coming out that are covering that topic that will help people figure out, you know, what do I do with this fish that I see at my fish market? Sure. So... The first one I want to talk about is from Barton Siever, who is a chef, but also works in sustainable food systems. Uh, the book is called The Joy of Seafood, okay. uh-huh. <laughs> which is exactly what it sounds like. It's 900 recipes covering everything you can imagine in seafood. Okay. Uh huh. So I think that that is like going to be a go-to tome for people. Just any question you can possibly have about fish or bivalves or crustaceans will be will be in there yeah and just like an exorbitant number of recipes included right yeah i mean if you think about it most cookbooks normally have you know 100 150 so 900 Mm -hmm. is quite a few recipes (laughs) (laughs) and then from there we get regional and i think that that's particularly important for seafood because you don't have access to the same fish everywhere um, and if you do, they taste different depending on which body of water they're coming out of. Uh-huh. And then also, of course, there are different local traditions that accompany eating these foods. So the first one is close to my home, which is Texas Seafood by okay. PJ and Apple Stoops. PJ Stoops is a sustainable seafood advocate and fisherman and has done a lot of this advocacy for Gulf seafood in particular. The book goes through sort of the changing history of the Gulf Coast and um, its impact on local seafood. And then, of course, there's a ton of recipes. Apple Stoops is from Thailand, so there is uh, quite a few recipes that are Thai um, that, that use Gulf seafood. But then other traditions from, you know, Houston, Galveston, Brownsville, that kind of thing. Right. 
Naomi Tomke is a food writer in Seattle. She has a book coming out called The Pacific Northwest Seafood Cookbook. Okay. So now we're talking about much colder water, slightly different available fish, right? Right. A totally different world over there. Um, So she looks at what you can get in the Pacific Northwest, what people have done with it traditionally, what local immigrants have done with all of the local seafood. Um, and that's just, you know, sort of following a similar track, but ending up in wildly different places, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. And you mentioned the aspect of sustainability. I mean, why are there other reasons you think we're seeing so many seafood books now? I mean, is there a, a health conscious aspect of more people turning to seafood versus other types of meat potentially? Sure. And I, th- I think that people are more adventurous with their eating um, and in the name of eating lighter foods. I think that's definitely a factor in it. And I also think that there's just this willingness to try new things that is becoming a bigger and bigger thing in cooking and cookbooks um, and just access, honestly. Like, I don't know how it is where you live, but well, it's probably a lot better than it was here. But 10 years ago, there wasn't a lot of options in central Texas where I live for getting Gulf seafood and that kind of thing. So I think that people have access to this fish seafood and now they want to know what to do with it yeah absolutely well a lot of seafood books super exciting thank you for walking us through those paula and we'll talk to you soon absolutely thanks Can you believe we're gearing up for the 50th episode of Salt and Spine in just a few weeks? We're just a year since our launch, and we've loved telling the stories behind cookbooks by sitting down with dozens of your favorite cookbook authors, and mine too. From Jacques Pepin and Nigella Lawson to Samin Nostrat, Alison Roman, Salt and Spine is the leading podcast featuring in-person interviews with your favorite cookbook authors. Plus, we're publishing recipes, author excerpts, holding cookbook giveaways, and so much more. In fact, this podcast is only possible because of listeners like you. And so to celebrate our 50th episode, we're running a special promotion. Become a supporter of Salt and Spine before our 50th episode, and you'll be entered into a contest to win one of several cookbooks from our recent guests. That's right. That's in addition to other perks you'll get like Salt and Spine bookmarks, t-shirts, and much more. Now you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com backslash salt and spine. And now back to our conversation with Kowser Ahmed, author of The Karachi Kitchen. So this is your first cookbook, The Karachi Kitchen. What inspired you to write a cookbook? You know, I was always um, very fond of cooking. And I think I, w- I would say my kids inspired me. Okay. And my oldest daughter, who manages the whole, you know, the whole project of the cookbook, she said to me that, Mom, you know, you need to put these recipes down in a cookbook. And I said, Oh, okay. And first I was like, Yeah, okay, I'll do it. But I don't want to la- launch it in Pakistan. You know, I want the world to know about Karachi cuisine yeah. and Karachi recipes and food. I want to do more. That's the way I am. I always like to jump ahead and put in an extra effort. She is the one who pushed me into it. Then I started compiling the recipes. And then, of course, my mother had, because these are recipes from my childhood, which come down generations, and from my motherhood too. Okay. So you will see one or two recipes in it. Um, 
which are like the apple pie or the black forest cake, which black forest cake also has a beautiful story close to my heart. And both of them do. But those are recipes from my motherhood, which mm-hmm. I used to make and my kids loved it. Yes. So um I asked my mom, I said, you know, mom, I need the actual recipes now. You know, I've been making it with you, cooking it, and but never really, really put it down. She said, yeah, I have a diary. I'll give it to you. And I was like super excited. Oh, gosh, my life is all set. Uh, she has a diary. She's going to give it to me. Right. She gave it to me and I opened it and I said, oh, okay. So, but these are just the ingredients, you know, uh, there's no quantity. Said, uh-huh. What do you mean quantity? You don't need quantities. You just put everything in and taste it. I said, yeah. no, I'm writing a cookbook, so I need quantities. So, well, you know, it started off from there. Sure. Then I started making it for the book with the quantities. And then my mom was the tester. Majorly, okay. majorly she was because mm. she is, she's, she's amazing. You know, um, the kind of senses she has, the palate, she knows that, oh, this ingredient is too much. This is, too too little do that so that's how I started and then I got more and more inspired and I got more and more excited and you took it from there and then my daughter really made it happen with me yeah so you when you set out to do the cookbook you were already thinking that your audience was a global audience yes yeah I was Mm -hmm. and my Karachi friends are really mad at me (laughs) (laughs) well I think it's a beautiful cookbook for anybody including (laughs) your Karachi friends no no I give it to them but I said I'll bring it there later (laughs) yeah of course and you self-published this cookbook is that right yes we self-published it and that was uh, another journey because, you know, self-publishing is uh, not always the easiest thing to do. Right. But then um, I, I like to take risks and so does my daughter. I, she, I think she goes on me and we thought that we will self-publish it. And then we did have uh, a publicist, you know, we got on board and we had a designer and we found the right people, I said, I guess, you know. We just set our heart and mind to it mm-hmm. and then everything just followed. Yeah. Uh, did you have exposure to cookbooks when you were growing up or was everything sort of done by memory and hand? Memory and hand. Yeah. And, you know, we didn't really have the internet then. And um, when my kids were like growing up, I think it was then then we had the cookbooks. Well, I was growing up. We didn't have cookbooks. Like, for example, you know, the cake, the Black Forest cake in mm-hmm. there. My mom just had that at a bakery which which had just launched in Karachi, the first bakery in Karachi. Okay. And uh, she said, I need to somehow make this cake. I have no idea what happened <laughs> after that. She doesn't remember right now. Okay. I keep asking her, what is the story that happened after that? I just know that you made it. So she somehow got the recipe. She experimented. And we didn't have ovens in the house. Mm. But we did have... um community tandoors where they made the naans the hot piping naans over there and we used to get naans on a regular basis because my my brother loved that so she one day i just remember she made this batter she put it in the cake pan and she said i am come with me and i went with her and she went to the tandoor guy and she told him i need you to put put this in your tandoor and he he was like staring at her because he (laughs) knew her and he said what will I do with this and how will I it'll burn? She said, no, no. So I, I, I do remember she did that a couple of times, just standing there. And then she realized that, okay, so this is the amount of time you bake it for. 
and she got it right. Yeah, purely just trial and error. Trial and error, trial and error. So that particular cake has so many memories. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> so you were exposed to cookbooks then later on, and you were there cookbooks that you have turned to over the course of your career. And I want to talk about some of the other things you mm-hmm. do beyond writing mm-hmm. cookbooks in just a second. But mm-hmm. are there cookbooks or cookbook authors who were either influential to you in your life or that you turned to when you were writing your cookbook as sort of guides? Not anyone in particular, mm-hmm. you know, but I did turn to a lot of cookbooks, which just appealed to me, I would say, at that point. Yeah. And uh, and I use the internet a lot, you know, writing methods, techniques, the flow of the recipes and things like that. But I looked at a lot of uh, Indian recipes. I looked at a lot of Pakistani and then international as well. And so in addition to publishing your first cookbook. You also are the founder of Kitchen Craft, mm-hmm. which I believe you founded 10 years ago. Is I that did. Right? In I 2009. Did. Yeah. Yes. Congratulations. Thank 10 you. years. Thank you. Um, and tell us a little bit about what Kitchen Craft does. So Kitchen Craft, uh, specifically in Pakistan, you know, when I went into uh, the culinary career, like I said, I never like to just stick to one thing or the typical thing. I just always like to do things which are different some things which would benefit others Mm -hmm. and things which are related to education. So um, in Karachi, I set off to um, go into communities. And these are communities where people normally would not set foot in. Okay. You know, get to know the community and uh, the schools over there and the women over there and get the women together, talk to them. And I mean, it's a whole process. I'm saying it very easily, sure. but it's like a whole process of doing it to getting their trust and all those things. And then teaching them uh, the importance of learning hygiene, healthy eating habits mm-hmm. and uh, cleanliness in the environment. Start off with that and then teach them the skills of baking and cooking. So okay. picked out the women who were really interested And I taught them, I mean, now it's been many, many years now. So I have a whole community of women who I've taught and I have helped to set up businesses. Okay. And then I am teaching their their kids now. So and then with the same program, um, I went into community schools. Okay. And, you know, in short and in particular about. I would say three years back, there in 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 Karachi, uh, the government has started to give the schools for adoption so that people, private companies or individuals can run them better. So there's this huge organization. I never work with organizations because I feel that they totally disrupt your vision, and that's something I I cannot compromise on. But this particular organization approached me that we've adopted one of the largest heritage buildings in Pakistan. It is like phenomenal and beautiful. Okay. And this what used to be uh, an amazing school, uh, but not anymore. We would like you to come in and set up a culinary lab or home economics. And I, you know, over there, traditionally, home economics is a huge no-no for boys. So, you know, if you go into the masses and then, you know, the women are working and the men are not really, you know, things have really changed now. But if you really go into the masses, uh, the woman is the one in the kitchen. Mm. So I thought I need, I, I need to change the mindset. And where do I begin from? So let's go into the masses. And I told them that I will join you if you convince the government to 
changed the policy that the boys will be in home economics. Required. Well, yes, I said it has, to, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it, it was like quite a shock to them, but it was done. Wow. So I, I have around, um, as we speak, I have around 300 uh, students okay. in that school. And I would say I have more, I have around 60% boys. Okay. Or maybe more. Yeah. And I set up the lab, I set up the classes over there with a curriculum in mind to teach them not only the skills of cooking and baking, but also social skills and tolerance and, you know, the uh, to tolerate different cultures as well and cuisines of the world. So my work has really expanded now and I've, I've you know, got a great team working over there. So that will keep going on. Yeah. And now you're on book tour, you're promoting your book and, and hosting cooking classes mm-hmm. and doing things across the U.S. What has the perception been to your work, specifically as you're introducing your book to American audiences? Mm-hmm. Are there misconceptions about Pakistani cuisine or things that you just wish people knew? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's a good question because uh, I think... I would, this would also answer your question on why I actually wanted to have a global audience. Okay. Um, I always felt there was a huge confusion between Indian and Pakistani food. Yeah. And specifically food from Karachi and very similar, very, very similar, but yet different. Right. So that's where I wanted to come in and talk about it. And I wanted conversations to start. I wanted to go around and perception was, um, I would say with time, you know, uh, it's it's changing it has changed and um, with my exposure and with my tour going on it's changing more yeah. but it was always a question was that you know oh you know we have an indian class so we don't need a pakistani class or we don't need a karachi class but then it worked out really well i f- felt that people are very excited now to find out what karachi cuisine is what pakistani cuisine is what is the difference what are the flavors yeah. So, you know, it, it, um, it, it's been a beautiful journey, I would say. That's great. And you think a cookbook like yours can maybe be the catalyst to have more of those conversations then? That's what I'm trying. Yeah. Definitely. You know, um, I, I, you know, I always say that this is just the beginning for me and uh, I'm trying to get in exhibitions and I'm trying to talk more about it, have, uh, going to the food research programs and really, really get in there and, be the catalyst. And hopefully if you succeed, every American home cook will be making carrot delight for dessert <laughs> before we know it. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to try that one. Well, thank you so much, Kauser, for joining us. This is so fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's head now to Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack in this week's From the Vault. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hey, Brian. I'm doing well. Great to talk to you. So we just sat down with Kauzer Ahmed to talk about her cookbook, The Karachi Kitchen, and I'm hoping Wonderful. you have something to share with us. Yeah, she is great. She came a while back to give a talk at our store, and I've always been a big adherent of regional cuisines from uh-huh. countries where, that we oftentimes just sort of give a broad brush to. And right. um, Pakistan really doesn't have very much... Uh, out there for for American cooks to work from. Okay, so I was yeah. really excited to have a book about uh, Karachi and the food from there. I had no idea, um, you know, what what it even comprised, uh, and it was really nice to hear 
just about new foods and new places. Sure. Yeah. And the focus on the regionality too. I mean, not just doing a, a cookbook on cuisine from the entire country, but focusing on the city she's from and exactly. the regionality there. Yeah. And so some of the street foods that are there that maybe are not in the countryside because people are cooking at home. Uh, you just don't, uh, it's really wonderful that publishers are starting to look at more regionality in places. And I think that certain countries like India and China really, really deserve to be split up. I mean, you, right. you rarely see a cookbook that's all America. So right. it's sort of the same idea. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Celia. Anytime. My pleasure. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find a recipe for Kausar Ahmed's lentil and rice pilaf with raita. Now remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can support Salt and Spine at patreon.com backslash saltandspine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. You can find more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonomo, and the Civic Kitchen team, to Paula Forbes, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Greetings Adventurers is an award-winning comedy real play D&D podcast that has been running for a decade with 427 episodes in our first campaign. I didn't have back problems or kids when we started. My favorite thing about the show is that it's a group of friends playing D&D who don't take anything too seriously. Right, like would a normal group use a sphere of annihilation as a toilet? We threw so much mayonnaise in there. We just started a new campaign, so it's a great time to jump in. Or you can listen to our first level one all the way to level 20 adventure and have hundreds of hours of entertainment. New episodes every Monday, so listen to Greetings Adventurers on ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>